When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and I answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. So welcome to the Dear Padre podcast, where I try to take the issues of the day and answer them. And the text we're encountering today is really unique. We have a court case from the reign of Solomon the king, and two women who are prostitutes, sex workers, come to him with this big dilemma about their child. You can read about it in 1 Kings chapter 3, starting at verse 16, sort of the John 3.16 of the Old Testament, um, in a really horrific but profound story about justice and even about humanity. Um, I've drawn parallels in my work between sex workers and soldiers over the years that both of these groups have peeked behind the curtain of civilization of humanity and have seen things that are often romanticized in film and literature um, and yet they have experienced these things firsthand. So our society and culture has always been fascinated by the work of soldiers and sex workers, fascinated, thrilled by it, but also repulsed by it, especially when we see what it's like in real life, killing and, uh, and all those things that go with being a sex worker. So we often assume that these people don't have the same kind of feelings that we have, same kind of emotions, same kind of lives that we have, um, and yet they do. And this story brings some of that out. So I hope you can feel that in the story and reflect on these big ideas in this text with me today. In the story of these two women, uh, we have a glimpse into the world of Solomon, the world that he lived in. Uh, Rarely do we have a glimpse into people's ordinary lives in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament. Um, Generally speaking, we have uh, accounts of what kings and prophets and big important people do. But here we have the story about these two women. Uh, In Melanie's translation, they're called harlots. Um, in the NRSV, they're called prostitutes. Um, today, we would probably call them sex workers. Uh, that's probably the most respectful term. And these are people that nobody cares about. And no one considers them to be moral people at all. Um, everybody that would have heard this story about two prostitutes who live together, who both have a baby, both have babies at the very same time, within a couple of days of each other. And then while they're sleeping in the same bed, uh, while they're, one rolls over and suffocates the child at night. And she is horrified. She immediately wakes up and switches her dead baby for the live baby that is sleeping next to the other woman. And in the morning, both wake up, or the other woman wakes up and discovers that her baby is dead. And then she discovers that it's not her baby. And so they would have gone to the closest magistrate or official or elder, whoever it was. I'm not sure what they did. And they've taken this case all the way up to the Supreme Court. There's no DNA test. There's no way to really establish whose baby it was. 
It shows that these two women are in complete social isolation. They don't have anybody to call as a witness. They don't have anybody to say, oh yeah, that's my daughter and that's my granddaughter or, or my grandson. They don't have anyone that can vouch for their character. These are nobodies. These are people that the world and society does not care about at all. And because they don't care about them, they don't think that they can be moral agents. They don't think that they know the difference between right and wrong. And we are tempted to do this too in our day. People that are on the margins, people that uh, aren't respectable in the way that maybe we are or we have been, um, we assume that they don't have the kind of normal human feelings that we have. And so when they do things, we assume that they are a different species than us, that they are not human the way we are human. And what Solomon does here in this court hearing is to show that even though these women don't matter, even though nobody will vouch for them, even though no one will vouch for their character, they are clearly in a profession that points to their bad character in our day or in their day. And yet, they still have moral agency. They still have a conscience. They still have compassion. They still have love. Well, at least one does. The other one, we're not so sure about. And so when he calls for a sword to be brought to cut this baby in half, um, the, immediately the mother of the, the baby screams out, don't kill the baby, give the baby to the other woman. I'd rather have the baby alive and not mine than to have half a baby. And the other woman says, go ahead and kill the baby. Um, that's just the way it's going to go. So they're going to end up with two dead babies in her, in her perspective. And we don't know. This story is very simplistic. We don't know a lot of details, but we know that people in distress aren't always behaving the way they think they, ought, they would have behaved in another situation. But we can see justice being done here. It's not coercive justice. Even though there's a sword presented, um, the choice is given to them. The choice is given to these women. Um, Solomon respects them, even though he is the king and he is far above them in status, power and wealth and even wisdom. He still respects them enough to give them the choice of what they want to do with this situation. We can learn a lot from the story. Uh, I think, first of all, that... Um, you know, whenever there's a conflict, it usually goes back further than the conflict we've had. These two women live together. They sleep in the same bed. It's, they say it over and over again. We live together and nobody else lives with us. Um, they are clearly in some sort of relationship, whether it's a working relationship or something more, more um, intimate. It's hard to know. But we do know that, um, we do know that they have conflicts before this. Um, it's clear it's coming out in this story. Uh, whatever animosity or hatred um, is amongst them is, is now coming out. I have two older sons who are very similar in age. They're 18 months apart. And, and I don't know who's right or wrong in most of their controversies over the years as they're fighting. Who hit who? Who shoved who? Um, sometimes they've accused the other of breathing on them. He's breathing on me. Hear him? Do you hear him breathing over there? Um, you know, and I can't really sort out who did what, because ultimately their struggle goes back to their birth, uh, being born in, 
you know, as a brother in a family with two kids, uh, close in age, you're going to have some conflict. And that's their real struggle. And these two women, it seems like their real struggle is much deeper. Instead of mourning a loss of one baby, um, they have, this one woman has taken it to the next level. And this is a good solution in conflict. Um, the, to say, let's just burn it all down. If we're fighting over something, maybe neither of us need it. Um, maybe that's the solution. Maybe it's better to preserve our relationship than fight over this one little thing that both of us want and doesn't want the other person to have. Um, so we see that, the wisdom of Solomon here, that the human condition is to fight over stuff that really we don't want um, Ultimately, what we really want is something far deeper. This woman has lost her child, and she wants that child back, but she can never get that child back. Um, that's just not going to happen. And so the next best thing is this other woman's child. And so much of our conflict comes over wanting the next best thing, when in fact, um, we really can't get that. Um, the second part of this is to recognize that human beings are human beings. Um, and are worthy of love and justice, no matter what they do for a living. Um, we, we, have, we live in an age that vilifies sex work, sex workers, um, that often points to their bad character. Rarely do we point to the bad character of those who uh, pay for their services. Um, rarely do we point that out as clearly as we point out the people that are engaged in this kind of work, both men and women in our society. Um, and this, this shows that nothing ever really changes. Human beings are always human beings. We've been human beings ever since we were created. Um, prostitution is often called the oldest profession. Um, and there's some reasons for that. Humans are humans. And the Bible talks about sex workers a lot. In fact, Jesus um, had, had uh, many, many meals with sex workers when he was here on this earth. And they couldn't have been that big a part of the population. You think about it, um, in any culture, any society, there isn't a large percentage of sex workers out there, small percentage of people. And yet these are the people that Jesus continually talked to and associated with. I've done some reflecting on this in my writing. Um, and I think the real takeaway for me when it comes to why Jesus spent time with sex workers is that if you've ever talked to a sex worker or someone that has done that for a living at one period or, or two in their life, you realize that they have seen behind the curtain. They have seen behind the curtain of, of humanity and civilization. This thin veneer that we call civilization and society and propriety with its manners and rules, they have seen behind that curtain. And nobody can fool them about anything. You can't fool someone who's been involved in that kind of work. Um, even for a brief period of time. Um, that kind of, uh, they, the one, the people that I have known that have been sex workers have always been able to see beyond that thin veneer of reality and civilization. You can't bullshit them. And Jesus knew that. And I think that's why perhaps he related to them in such a profound way. Um, and often said that the people that are coming into the kingdom are these people, the sex workers. The, uh, the publicans, the, the tax collectors, they are coming into the kingdom before the religious people are coming in. And Jesus makes that clear in his day 
and he makes it clear in our day. Um, every single person is first a person. We are all first people. And then after that, our professions and all that other stuff comes. But ultimately, we are valuable because we are made in the image of God. And every single person should be treated with that kind of dignity and respect because of the image we're made in. Jesus made that clear, and even Solomon made it clear in this story. And I hope we can make it clear to a world that seeks to commodify people, to see what they're worth based on their value, or to consider people less than human because they do things that we wouldn't do. Um, Amen. O God, the King Eternal, whose light divides the day from the night and turns a shadow of death into the morning, drive far from us all wrong desires, incline our hearts to keep your law, and guide our feet into the way of peace, that having done your will with cheerfulness during the day, we may, when night comes, rejoice to give you thanks. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. In a prayer for mission on 101, Lord Jesus Christ, you stretched out your arms of love on the hard wood of the cross, that everyone might come within the reach of your saving embrace. So clothe us in your spirit that we, reaching forth our hands in love, may bring those who do not know you to the knowledge and love of you. For the honor of your name, amen.